the scripture reading found from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by, by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did, you see you, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do, do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks, Linda, for reading the scripture today. Uh, good to see everybody here. I know it's um, Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, you're probably eager to enjoy the time, but um, we do have a lot to do today. Not only are we resuming our committee Sundays and the Mercy Committee to present briefly what they're doing, but also we do have an important congregational, annual congregational meeting to take care of as well. So um, hopefully you can join us for all that, but let's continue here in our passage. We've been looking at the various uh, things that the church does, uh, the various committees, the things that uh, were addressed in the survey last summer, um, and we're continuing to do that by looking at this thing called uh, mercy. Now, mercy committee is uh, relatively new to the church, and um, it has begun, but it probably needs more support, more work, and more participation. But today, I just want to show us why or how uh, it ought to be important to the church, probably more than you think. In this passage I was just read, if you're listening to what was uh, just read to us in Matthew 25, it's actually meant to be a pretty intense scene. And um, in this scene, Jesus is telling this famous parable about the sheep and, and the goats right? And it's a very famous parable or very famous, I guess, story. The reason why he talks about sheep and goats is because in that day, that's, that's their culture, right? He was speaking into their culture, and it was a very bucolic culture, right? Very agrarian. It's, um, it's about a lot of shepherds, uh, a lot of herders. So you had sheep and goats. Bottom line is this. In this story, being a sheep is good, right? And being a goat is not, okay? Being sheep is good, being a goat is not. And what he does is he distinguishes the difference between sheep and goat by these acts of what we call mercy 
such as feeding the hungry, caring for the sick, uh, welcoming the stranger, so on and so forth. And uh, this is what we need to look at very carefully, because you could get the wrong idea. If you read this passage, it, it might send the wrong message. I think that at least the one that Jesus is trying to send is not that. But, you know, back in the day, if you, and I'm dating myself, but if you grew up as a Christian or you grew up going to church in the 80s or 90s, um, how to be a good Christian, how to, how to live like a good Christian um, was pretty easy, relatively. Because all you need to do is just listen to the preacher, listen to your teacher, and just do what he or she says. So you end up having this sort of list of sort of do's and don'ts. Uh, this is what good Christians do. This is what good Christians or bad Christians don't do. This is what good people do. This is what bad people do. And, and you should do what's good, right? He will tell you what to do, what not to do, so that you could be a good Christian. Uh, he will tell you what to do or what not to do, and then God would bless you. He will tell you what to do or not to do so that you could be a sheep and not a goat right? And so if you started doing the wrong things growing up, in the, growing up in the church, if you started doing wrong things, then what would happen? Well, then oftentimes someone, maybe usually older than you, will come and they will get on your case and they will say, what the heck are you doing? Why are you doing this, right? And there will be fear. There will be a little of guilt. Maybe they'll use a little shame. Like, you shouldn't be doing that. Being or living like a Christian, it used to be Living like a sheep used to be like, it meant you participated in basically like this sheep behavior management program. And back then, and if you grew up in church like I did, back then what that meant was this. You had to dress a certain way. Christians need to talk a certain way. Christians need to avoid certain things like gambling, smoking, drinking, swearing, uh, some places, even going to the prom was the wrong thing. I don't know if you grew up in that context. And above all else, sexual impurity. So in that day, in those days, basically to be a good sheep, to be a Christian, is pretty much like many of us might think, is to ignore all the fun stuff and, and do all the boring stuff. Right? I remember growing up in Christian, for me, as in the youth group, no secular music. You couldn't wear shorts or skirts. You had to read the Bible every day, and if you forgot, I would have to repent, pray for forgiveness for neglecting God's word. I would be required to go to every retreat, and if I didn't cry at the retreat during the prayer times, it means that something was wrong with me, that my heart was too hard, and that was a serious problem. And it was, to be honest, it was kind of oppressive. It's kind of extreme. And that's why some of you who grew up there, you left the church. And that's why I, I left the church when I went away for college. Stop going to church. Stop believing. Stop trying to be a sheep. At least for a few years, I did my own thing. But when you look at this passage, right, what's interesting is in this passage, the list that I was given for what Christians should be like, how they should be, how they should talk, act, think, whatever, it never included things what Jesus lists here in this passage. Things like feeding the hungry, caring for the sick, welcoming the stranger. And that's why I, I think our text is interesting because here's Jesus, and the picture is Jesus sitting on this throne, and in verse 32, we're told all the nations are gathered. That's everyone, and he's ready to judge everyone. He's ready to decide who really was a sheep and who really was a goat, 
who was really good and who was really bad, who was in and who was out. And the thing is, what we see in the passage is Jesus is not going to judge based on how you look, what you wore to church, what kind of music you listened to, how many times you cried at a retreat, and even how many times you read the Bible or even did QT. His list is completely different. Verse 35, I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I mean, if you're going to judge anyone, especially whether they are a sheep or a goat, or whether they're good or bad, um, look at what they do, right? Look at how they do, and it makes sense to us. But the, I, what it looks like here, the, the list that Jesus gives in Matthew 25 it's a pretty worthy list. Forget about what you look like, how you talk, what music and movies you listen to or watch. The question is, are you feeding the hungry? Are you clothing the poor? Visiting the sick, those in prison, welcoming the stranger? Because apparently for Jesus, that stuff was pretty important in Matthew 25. This isn't just a side note. It's a serious business. The title heading of this part of the chapter, in chapter 25, is Final Judgment. And I know some of us maybe are uncomfortable talking about stuff like that, but Jesus does that once in a while. And it means that the stuff that he's talking about here is a matter of life and death. That it deals with your life, not just here on earth, but life after, and everything after everything is said and done, it's also about eternity, verse 46. It's about being a sheep and then being told, come into my kingdom, verse 34. It's about being a goat and then being told, get away from me. I never knew you, verse 41. And in the middle of these verses, he's talking about doing things, like caring for the poor, feeding the hungry, visiting people in need. And the question that it begs from us is this, how are we doing with that? How are you doing with that? Because in this passage, it's the ones who did these things that are called sheep, that get the kingdom of God. And it's the ones that don't or didn't that don't get in. And that's what this passage seems to be saying. Now, a couple of things here. One, at this point, some of you, some of us, uh, who are really into this whole social justice thing, you know, get involved with the community and so on and so forth, you're saying right now, you're hearing this, and you're saying, that is right. That is absolutely right. Amen. Jesus does not like spirited, greedy people who are not generous and who don't care about the poor. What are they doing? They're all goats. Now, if you're thinking like that, we need to be careful. Because I fed the hungry, not just my kids. I've hated the poor. I've visited people in prison. I've visited people out of prison. I've clothed people in need, and, and to be honest, there's a kind of good feeling that comes with that that you don't get from anything else. But the problem is, that feeling quickly wears off when I start thinking about all the times I was stopped at a red light, and I see an old guy there standing with a sign, like three feet from my window, holding up a sign that says, I'm hungry. And rather than look at this person in the eye, I'm looking at my phone. Or like the many times I'm trying to, as I drive, to cross over a street and there's this old lady carrying groceries or something, walking at a pace that would make a snail cringe. 
You know what I'm thinking? Honestly, I'm thinking, get out of my way. And so all those other times that I did do something good and felt good seems to be heavily outweighed by these other moments every day of my life where I just ignore everything else. And that's when it hits me. No matter how many hungry people I fed or visited or clothed, if the rule to be a sheep and not a goat is to be more charitable and hospitable and selfless, then I'm basically just as screwed as if the rule to be a sheep was to stop listening to secular music, don't drink, don't smoke, and never use swear words. It's all oppressive because I just can't get it right all the time. I don't do enough all the time. It's never enough, and you end up just feeling guilty or you might just feel apathetic, and you just walk away. But on the other hand, some of us here, many of us who might know a little theology, you're saying to yourselves, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, PF. I thought we were all about grace. I thought we get saved by faith and not by doing things. Isn't that the gospel? But that's not what it sounds like you're saying, and that's not what it sounds like Matthew 25 is saying. And if that's you, we also need to be careful. This is where knowing a little bit of right theology can be a danger rather than a blessing because the more truth you know about Jesus, the more you're held accountable for what you know. And it would be easy just to sit there and say, oh yeah, I know where PF's going with this. It's not about works, it's about grace. It's about Jesus, it's always about Jesus. And Jesus did what I couldn't do, so I don't have to. And so all this amounts to just not worrying too much about what I'm doing, just trust Jesus more. And so you don't have to do anything. We've got to be careful. It's one thing to just know something in your head but not really know it in your heart. It's one thing to know about someone and another thing to really intimately know someone. And no matter how many people in the Bible knew about Jesus, there were people in the Bible that knew Jesus in a way that never wanted to separate what they knew in their heart with what they knew in their lives. Because as James chapter 2 says, faith without works is dead. So how do I make sense of this passage? What are we saying here? What's Jesus saying? Am I a sheep or am I a goat? Should I do more of these kinds of things or shouldn't I? Do we support more of the mercy ministry stuff or do we not? If I don't do enough, will I get kicked to the curb? Will I be called a goat? What do I do? What do I do? And some of us are always asking that question. What do I do? What do I do? Give me another list. And I'm not sure if that's the best question to start with. What is the good news here? And that's the first question I think we should start with. Because more often than not, you hear a passage like this, and it all sounds like, this is what you should do, and here's the judgment. It doesn't sound like promise or good news. And so much of our teaching, our preaching in the world follows that formula. Here's your problem. Here's what you need to do about it. I don't know about you. I've never really heard that as good news. I've tried fixing my problems or other people's problems and sometimes feel like it never works. I've tried a checklist of what I should commit to do more of or less of. It never saved me once. 
I've tried to be more compassionate to other people, more thoughtful, more caring and sensitive, uh, or whether I need to give more or feed more or clothe more. Never saved anyone. And I'm not saying that serving others and making changes and taking action in our lives or in the world is not important. Of course it's important. Doing good things is important. But you don't need a sermon to tell you that. Feeding the hungry is a good thing. You don't need a sermon to tell you that caring for widows and orphans is a good thing. You don't need to be even a Christian that, to know that helping homeless people are, is a good thing. But what you and I need in a sermon is a reminder that we are to never confuse, never confuse trying to be good with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because to do that is to confuse the result with the cause. Good news is not about procedures or lists. It's about promises. And the ones in our passage, the sheep who actually fed the hungry, clothed the poor, welcomed the stranger, they didn't do these things because they thought, well, that's what good people are supposed to do, and so we should do it. They didn't do these things in the passage because, well, that's what a good Christian should do, and so I should do it. How do I know? Because when you carefully read the passage, look how totally surprised they were when Jesus said that when they did these things to the least of them, they did it to him. They were surprised. What? We did it for you. When did we do that? We were just doing it. These people here, the ones that Jesus calls sheep, these sheep, they weren't doing these wonderful, merciful things because they were thinking, I should, I should, because that's what Christians are supposed to do. That's, that's what Christians are, are need to do. And if I want to be in with Jesus, then I've got to do this. If I want to be a good person, then I need to do this. Goodness for these people, these sheep, was not a motive. Trying to be a good person was not a motive. Trying to be good and do the right thing was not the ultimate motive. What was their motive? What is the motive? And the answer is identity. Look at verse 34. Listen to this. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's what he says about the sheep, verse 34. He says, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Jesus calls these people who clothed and fed and welcomed and visited and did all these merciful things, he calls them blessed. You are blessed. And if you looked at the original language, that word bless, it's a past tense verb. That the blessedness came before the sheep did anything. Which leads me to believe that maybe the blessing came first in their lives because God blessed them. And that's what made them good. Maybe doing all these nice things for people, it didn't come just from a desire to be good but maybe it resulted from their first being blessed. They were told, verse 34, you are blessed. Now what's the blessing? Well, verse 34, you are blessed by my Father. Then what does he say? You inherit the kingdom 
prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Listen to this. Inherit. Inherit. It doesn't say you earned it because you did wonderful things. He says you inherited it. Who inherits anything? Family members. Family members inherit. Sons and daughters inherit from parents. Jesus says you're blessed because you've inherited a kingdom. You're blessed because Jesus Christ is the king. He's declared you sons and daughters. You're blessed because this king, who is also your savior, he dies for you on the cross. He dies for your lack of sensitivity, your lack of compassion, your lack of you know, selflessness. He dies for your sins, and he just gives you an inheritance. You're blessed because you inherit a kingdom that was prepared when? Verse 34, from the foundation of the world, before you were even born, before you could do anything, you had a home in heaven prepared for you by the Son. That's something you can't earn. God did that. He decided that. He declared that. And you can't make yourself more worthy of something God has already decided about you. Identity. You know, if, if I was on the poor end of things, if, if I was on the needed end of things, if I'm on the receiving end of mercy, I'll be honest, I don't care what your motives are. For me, all that matters is what you're going to give me, what I need, right? But for God, right reasons and motivations make all the difference. Connecting truth with my action makes all the difference. Right? Because they knew they were loved by a God full of compassion and mercy and forgiveness in the giving of his only son, as a result, an obvious, necessary, natural, evidential result, they loved and served their neighbor. What they did and what they desired to do, feeding, clothing, and visiting, flowed from knowing who they are, their identity as sons of a living God who has given them an inheritance, who is compassionate, merciful, and that was evidenced by what they did. Do you know what a Christian is? Do you know what a growing Christian is? A growing Christian is this. When I, when I know what I want to do and I, what I actually do, are the same thing. Or to put it this way, a growing Christian is when what I want to do and what I should do are the same thing. Okay? It's an identity issue that Paul's saying here, or Jesus is saying. Here's what I mean. Jesus, I think, is saying this is what Christians, who they are. You know, if you have a dog and your dog starts meowing, something is wrong, Right? If you have a cat and your cat is barking, something is wrong. What sounds do sheep make? Right, right? Uh, but Jesus is saying this is the sound that sheep make. They love, they're merciful, they're compassion. And then when sheep start hating, become vindictive, bitter, something is off. That's not who you are. Real sheep, 
Real Christians, they, they don't show mercy and compassion and love to others in order to get more mercy and compassion from God or even just to feel better about themselves. It's the other way around. Real sheep, real Christians show mercy and compassion and love to others because they are the ones that know that they have already received these things from God in Jesus Christ. And they love him for that. So if I've been lacking, and sometimes I do, in these areas, if I've if I've just been sort of callous or selfish or careless, if I'm lacking compassion, mercy, and love, and these things that I'm talking about and mercy committee stuff just sounds like a burden, there's two possibilities. Either you are a very young, maybe immature sheep, or you're just a goat. But whatever the case, how do I grow then as a Christian loves mercy. We already said the first thing, identity. The second thing is relationship. Identity. You first, you got to start out by knowing the king. Not just about the king, but get to know him, his son, Jesus Christ, who has set you free from the tyranny of to-do lists. Free from being named and claimed by any other power than God himself, whether it be the economy or, or whatever it is, expectation from families, fear of death, even your own brain. He frees us for others. And we're free because we've been blessed by God, who showed us unlimited compassion in his Son, and knowing who you are, blessed by the Father, changes the way you love your neighbor. So know him, believe him, trust him, not just in your head, but in your heart of hearts. But the second thing we do as we grow as a Christian is this. We have to understand, if I want to grow in my mercy to others, if I want to grow in my mercy and do it well, there's a relational aspect. Notice what Jesus says to the sheep when they asked him, Jesus, when did we ever do this for you? And Jesus responds, whenever you did these things to the least of them, you've done it to me. Do you see his motivation He's saying this. There's a relationship issue here. When you do it, these things, mercy, goodness, compassion to anyone, to the least of them, to the worst of them, he says, you've done it to me. Do you see the motivation that he's giving? It's not just do this because it's a good thing to do. It's not just do this because that's what makes you a Christian. It's, it's relational. You love me? You care about me? If you did, you would do this. Because when you do it to them, you do it to me. My problem sometimes is not that I'm not compassionate enough to people I don't know, or I'm not merciful enough to people that are around me. My problem, ultimately, is my relationship with Jesus is not strong enough to strengthen my relationship with others in the right way. One way that we know that a person loves Jesus, is that the person has love for other people, especially for those that God puts right under our noses in their time of need. Even if we are uncomfortable with them, even if we don't have the same background as they do, even if they are struggling with problems that make us uncomfortable, it's them. Anyone can do a nice thing for anyone. Christians aren't the only one that feed the hungry, visit the sick, care for the poor, so on and so forth. But the difference here is, is in their heart, their motivation, their reason. 
The difference for the sheep and for the Christian is this. Other people, society, culture, me, is not the primary motivation for being like this. It's Jesus Christ himself. When you did it to the least, you did it to me. You ministered to me, to my needs. And I think that's something we need to really think about as we grow our relationship with him. Jesus just didn't talk about it. He showed it. He showed us compassion when he went to the cross. He shows us when he feeds our hungry souls with his words. He shows us when he clothes us our shame and our nakedness with his goodness, quenches our thirst with living water. He showed us what mercy is when he paid our debts with his own blood. And he stretches out his arms even to the worst of us. And he dies on a cross and he says, I love you. So it's no wonder then that Jesus, the great shepherd, looks for these things in his sheep. And it sets a high priority on them. And he's asking the church today, in whatever ways you can, won't you do the same? If you're his sheep, won't you show the same? Let's pray. Father, as we pray for our, our mercy ministry, as we pray for the things that we do, we ask that you would uh, not only just do it well, but to prepare our hearts to just be merciful, whether in the church, outside the church, wherever we go. Um, we pray, Lord, that those things on the outside may look very familiar to many other people, but on the inside is a world of difference. We have every reason, every, every, every resource to be merciful and gracious and compassionate freely. Not as a list of do and don'ts, not, 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 not as a way to get into heaven, not as a, a way to make our feel ourselves better, but as we remember who we are, what you've done for us already, we are free to share that mercy and grace to others around us in very practical ways. This is an area, Lord, maybe that the church continues to need to work on. This is an area that many of us personally in our lives could probably work on. And it's the work that only you can do in the hearts of your people. And so, Lord, grow our hearts, expand our faith, give us patience and mercy, but move us towards those people who you call the sheep. We are yours. You have given your life for us. You watch over us. You give us all that we have. And we pray that we follow you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.